Thanks again, you guys. That was amazing. So good to worship together. And uh, I will say, the last time I was here to speak at a men's retreat, uh, I came in through the back door on the Friday night and then was going to speak beginning on Saturday morning. And you guys were singing a song and it just undid me. It just brought me to tears because all the men singing is a, such a powerful moment. So I want to thank you for your collective worship and the impact that each of us can have on one another. It's very, very powerful. Uh, just before we begin, I'll give you a couple more resources here. Uh, if you want to connect further, you can go to churchbcc.org, and there's all kinds of sermon resources there. Spiritsoulbody.org is a website where I'm going to be starting a coaching ministry. In uh, I have three more Sundays as senior pastor, and then I'm handing the baton to one of our lead pastors who will become the senior pastor, and that's going to be really exciting for him and for me, <laughs> because that's going to give me more time to teach and write, uh, which is really on my heart, and develop a coaching ministry for those of uh, coaching and formation, who are those, those who are interested in that. And then uh, I just post, we live up in the mountains, I post pictures of nature on Instagram, R.P. Dahlstrom. And then two more books, real quickly, I'll just let you know about. Force Faith is a book that I just wrote, it's very short, it's a, like a COVID devotional, basically, is what I say. Um, the best testimony from somebody who has read it is someone who said, I'm buying copies for all my friends who say they can only find God in nature because this book tries to build a bridge between what you can learn by walking through a forest and what the scriptures have to say about our identity in Christ. Uh, trees are always doing four things. They're receiving gifts from God above. Their roots are growing deeper. They're growing in connection with each other and they're fulfilling their calling. And isn't it interesting that the trees keep doing that no matter who's in power in Washington, D.C., no matter what's going on with the economy or the stock market, they just do their thing. If we could be like that, we'd continue to grow as well. That's forced faith. Breathing New Life into Faith is a book about developing spiritual disciplines. It's for anyone who's interested in doing so. And uh, the best testimony that someone shared with me was it brought balance to their pursuit of spiritual disciplines. Uh, so that's all that I have to say about that. And then let's go on to our session, Cosmic Relay. Uh, we need to carry what God has been doing here from here, down the mountain. And so let me read Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and then I'll pray and we'll begin. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Father, would you now teach us in these few moments that we have uh, what it means to be people who go the distance. Uh, we know, all of us in the room, I'm sure, that the, the testimony of the church is littered with bodies along the side of the road who began the race with zeal but didn't finish. And our desire, Father, is to be those who persevere. So would you speak to us toward that end by the power of your spirit and shape us to be people of hope. We pray in Christ's name, amen. This need for endurance was never more uh, powerfully illustrated to me then the first time I was involved in a mountaineering expedition, nearly 40 years ago now, I was climbing Mount Baker, if you know it, it's a big volcano up in, in Washington State. Everybody needs an ice axe, we're roped together. There's crevasses, and that's why you have an ice axe, so that if somebody falls in a crevasse, by virtue of being roped together, you can 
If you're not the guy falling in, you can drop your ice axe in and prevent all of us from falling. And we really do live and die together, literally. It's really a powerful illustration. But anyway, uh, so we're about 300 feet from the summit. And, you know, you're a little hypoxic. You're, you got a headache, a little nausea. Your heart's thumping, you know. And uh, your ice axe is leashed to your wrist. And then, so we're all sitting there taking a break. And then this guy undoes his axe and accidentally kicks it, and we watch it start sliding down the mountain into a crevasse. Now, here, there's a rope team without an ice axe. So the guide, I watch him. He uh, unropes from his team, hikes down, gets to the edge of the crevasse, builds an anchor where the rope repels down into the crevasse, grabs the guy's ice axe, uh, prussics back up, it's a thing, and then hikes back up, hands the ice axe to the guy, and just says really calmly, never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched that whole scene with amazement because I was like this, I got a headache, I don't feel like eating anything, my heart is probably beating 145, 150 beats a minute. If I'd have been the guide, I would have said, you lost it, go get your own Isaacs, axe, right? And, and, and so the thing to see here is when Jesus calls us to this life of abundance, I said it last night, he didn't say, look, I'm gonna give you enough water to quench your thirst. He said, you will become a river of living water. In other words, God's desire for you is to go the distance, and what that means is not only that you finish the race, but that you carry others with you, particularly as men, be strong in the Lord, right? So that you can be a blessing to others, be an instrument of reconciliation in the lives of others, make a difference in this world. It's not just that you somehow muddled through to the finish line, it's that you finish strong with enough capacity to be a blessing to others. That's the goal, right? And, and, and so that's what we want to do. And the way that we do that, at the beginning, we want to understand the why. What motivates us to keep in the race? And one of the things that motivates us is the fact that we have this cloud of witnesses. Uh, it says in the text, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, keep running, right? So what does that mean, cloud of witnesses? Well, there are others, as we all know, who've carried the torch before us. And all of us in the room are the beneficiaries of the Apostle Paul and Moses and Abraham and Augustine and Martin Luther and St. Patrick. And in this century, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Billy Graham and Sophie Scholl that I mentioned last night and MLK and all kinds of people, all of them used by God to bring us to this day, this moment, this place. And so there's this group that's gone before us and they've poured their lives out in faithfulness to the gospel so that we can now, having been recipients of their investment, do the same. So we have, that, we have those witnesses. And then as well, there are people who have invested in each of us in particular, right? Uh, I was adopted into a thoroughly Christian family. And my adoption story is uh, pretty remarkable. My parents told me when I was like 10 years old that I was adopted. Um, I was uh, uh, born. My birth mother was going to give me up for adoption. She left me with an agency, changed her mind, brought me home, six months later gave me up again. I was too much for her for whatever reason, right? And, and so now at six months, uh, I was adopted. My parents explained to me that I was adopted and I asked 
how they chose me, right? Because they said, you know, most children, the parents are just stuck with them. That's the way they framed it. But we chose you. Now, that sounded really cool. And so then I asked, uh, why'd you choose me? So my dad explained this to me, and he said, you know, you fill out the paperwork, and the social worker sees you, and, the, and then once you pass, you literally go into a room, and there's babies, and you pick one, like you're picking a grapefruit off of a shelf, right? <laughs> and, and so my dad was like this. He says, so, uh, you know, I went to each, each little baby, and I wiggled my thumb. And the first one kind of ignored it, and the second one started crying. The third one peed. <laughs> this one was asleep. And then we came, Richard, we came to you, and I wheeled my thumb, and you just started laughing, and you grabbed the thumb and held on. And so uh, your mom and I, we looked at each other, we said, this one is good enough. <laughs> and I was like this, are you kidding me? Like the entire course of my life, was determined because my dad stuck his thumb out this way and I grabbed it. That brought me into a Christian home uh, where I met Christ and as I'll share a little bit later, my grandmother was actually the cook at Mount Hermon. And so every summer, our family would go to Mount Hermon and, and as a result of that, I got involved with Torchbearer Ministries as I'll share toward the end here. But uh, people have invested in me. My parents have invested in me. Uh, uh, in seminary, there was a professor down at Talbot, and I preached a sermon in class, and he said to me, Richard, I know that you, wanna, you think you want to be like a Bible teacher in a seminary. He says, I'm telling you, God has called you to preach. Develop that gift. That was an important word to me, right? Uh, and, and, and then uh, some, some pastors along the way who have mentored me. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but the, here's the point. All of us in the room have a list of people who have encouraged us, who have invested in us, right? And, and so they poured into you, some super intentionally, some by example, some by a single sermon, boom, it changed your life. And, and it raised you higher. And it enabled you to find your calling. And it gave you the courage to risk or confess or forgive or reconcile or move or serve. Man, that's incredible, right? So, of course, in all of our lives, we need to take steps to follow Christ. Of course, we need to wake up and put our big boy pants on and follow Jesus. But let's face it, the phrase that we're self-made men is ridiculous. We're not self-made. It does take a village, actually. You didn't do it alone. This is the way of all of creation. I share this uh, book, Forest Faith. In that book, I reference another book entitled The Hidden Life of Trees, and if you walk out here through the forest, you realize that at the instant a chainsaw cuts into a tree, and we saw this happening yesterday, some trees around here are dying, and so uh, there's guys cutting the trees. As soon as the chainsaw hits the tree, I don't know if you know this or not, but all the trees are connected. The roots are interwoven, and then there's this thing called the mycelium network, these this, this mushrooms that are uh, connected to one tree, and then from that tree to another tree, so that all trees are connected and they're able to share resources. Who knew? A tree then, as soon as it begins to be cut, it starts offloading all of its carbon down through this mycelium network to all the other trees. And it shares with all the trees in the neighborhood, but it shares more resources 
with the trees that are its direct offspring. Is that not incredible to you, right? So it's like, focus on the family. Absolutely, yeah. You share the most resources there, but not just there. You share with everyone. The trees can teach us a great deal here about interconnectedness. It's this sharing of resources. And, and so we're called, as others have invested in us, to now give away what we've received. This is what Jesus taught us, right? Freely you've received what? Freely give. So what a joy to live our lives investing in others. There is no greater joy for me than uh, having mentored a guy for the last 13 years who, who, who came on staff at our church and then got his MDiv and then began preaching to now say to him, it's time for you to lead. And then to have the board affirm that and in a week the congregation affirm that, I go, that's the way it's supposed to work. We're always looking at the next generation, always seeing to pass the torch, always sharing what we've learned. And so if you're older in the room, don't drop out of the game, man. God, these young men in the room need us, right? And if you're young, attach yourself to someone and receive all that they have to give. Be curious, be a learner, because though they may not handle the internet very well, they have a great deal of wisdom to offer you, right? So these are the, these are the principles here. We understand at the very beginning, it says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let's keep running the race. That's really, really important. And then the way to run well is to lighten the load. Like if I'm gonna run the distance, it's just a matter of physics, right? The less I'm carrying, the farther I go. So I need to lighten the load because the text says this, lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us so that we can run with endurance. So let's talk about these things. Lay aside every encumbrance. What exactly does that mean? Well, here's the deal. All of us in the room are called by God to wholeness in spirit and soul and body. The Apostle Paul says that in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I pray that you'd prosper in, in your spirit, soul, body. Be wholly devoted to God in every, every area of your life, right? And God does this, God desires this, so that you now being filled with nothing less than the resurrected life of Jesus can bless the world, right? By using your gifts and by, by sharing all that God has given you, to you with others. That calling requires of all of us shedding stuff that's in the way, right? Uh, Paul said it this way to Timothy. Hey, uh, Timothy, the gift that God has given you, fan that gift into flame. Uh, some of you guys have, were building fires in the fire pits this weekend, anybody? Did anybody do that? Build a fire? If you build a fire, you know how it works, right? You light, and then once there's a flame, what do you do? You blow on the flame. Why? So the more oxygen will cause the flame to expand, and then it'll light the kindling, and the kindling will light the little logs, and the little logs will light the big logs, and pretty soon you have a fire. But you when you blow on it, you intensify the capacity of that flame to do what it's made to do, which is light the fire. And so Paul says to Timothy, look, if you know your gift, then you, like, okay, now that you know that, that's where you invest your time, right? And so God has given each one in the room gifts of leadership, gifts of generosity, gifts of mercy, gifts of teaching, gifts of serving. Whatever it is that is your gift, if I could say one thing to you, it would be this, find your gift and use it. 
right? So find, find the gifts that God has given you and then fan those gifts in the flame. Use those gifts. In other words, if you're made to do this, don't bother doing that. So as I, you know, as I uh, discovered that God had given me a gift of teaching, years ago I went up to, I, I tell people God tricked me into becoming a pastor. I was not going to be a pastor. I was going to be a Bible teacher and I was, I had a job waiting for me up in Alaska uh, but it didn't start for nine months, and then this church on a tiny island called me and, and said, we need an interim pastor for six months. You'll only have be a pastor for six months, and then you can go do your teaching thing. That was in 1984. So 37 years now, I've been a pastor. Uh, and, and when I went there, though, I, I said, if you're calling me, you need, here's what you need to know. Sundays, I'll preach and shepherd. Mondays and Tuesdays, I will study. Wednesdays, I'll be at the donut shop, hanging out with the community, being a shepherd. Thursdays, I'll do church leadership stuff. We'll have board meetings and whatever we need to do. But I need two days a week to read the scripture and study because that's my main gift. And I said, if you want somebody who won't, you won't allow, if you won't allow me to do that, I said, I'm not, I'm not your guy right? Find, find your gift and, you, and then use, use that gift. And that means laying aside encumbrances. So for me, that has meant at various times, setting aside excessive TV, paying close attention to the use of the internet. For some, it's alcohol. For some, it's sport. For some, it's being overly invested in good things. But whatever it is, understand that if you have a gift that God has given you, then that's your primary calling in your, in, in your life. Like you need to use the gifts that God has given you. So if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna lighten the load, then I'm gonna say, okay, because, I ha- because my gift is teaching, I don't have to try and be a world-class skier anymore. I love skiing, but I don't have to be a world-class skier. I don't have to be a world-class mountaineer. I don't have to be, uh, I, I don't have to, you know, go deep into the business end of things. I've, I've been given a gift of teaching. If you're called to teach, teach. If you're called to lead, lead. If you're called to give, make gobs of money and give to Hume Lake, right? It, whatever you're called to do, do that thing. Invest there because that's where life is. That's where joy is. That's where your calling is. And that's going to enable you to run the race. But then it says we have to not only lay aside uh, uh, distractions and encumbrances, we have to lay aside what is called besetting sin, now, what, is that? what does that even mean, right? Well, uh, everybody in the room, I bet, if we sat down and talked, we'd all have things in, in us, in our body, that is the problem place, right? Nobody in the room is, is perfect. My left knee bugs me. It just does. And so when I, when I um, uh, am doing too much, that's going to be the presenting place. Besetting sin is the same thing. All of us in the room have this kind of go-to sin that comes to us when we lose our identity in Christ. And when this happens, like when I lose sight of who I am in Christ and I lose sight of my calling, one of two things happen. Either I default to a different identity, so I've lost sight of my calling, and now what? I am my boat. And who in the room doesn't know this, right? Life is hard. We're stuck in the fog. What do we do? Get a bigger boat. 
play with the boat, get a bigger car, play with the car, remodel the bathroom. Like I gotta do something, I've lost sight of my calling, so I am my boat, I am my remodeling, I am my travel, I am my sphere of influence, I am my uh, social media, I am my sexuality, or worse, I am my bitterness, I am my victimhood, I am my temper, I am my body image. No, you're not, you never were. But when you're living there, that's, that's destroying you. That's your besetting sin. And so all of us in the room have a besetting sin. It's a place we go when life is too hard and we're discouraged. We go to this place, right? And, and, and then uh, it's not only like this different identity, but it's this kind of, it can be kind of this place where we go to self-medicate our pain away. Life is too hard, pornography's comforting, boom, we go there. Life is too hard, uh, extra drinks, those are comforting, boom, we go there. Extra food, boom, we go there. Extra sleep, boom, we go there. There's a, there's a, a pretty popular video, uh, a little TED talk, called The Demise of Guys by Philip Zimbardo. He's a psych prof at Stanford. And he says, the, the biggest problem in America is the kind of quote unquote, this is, these are his words, not mine, the emasculation of the American male. We've lost our sense of identity, we've lost our sense of power, we've lost our sense of calling. This guy's secular, but he's named it. He says, Man, there's a male crisis in America. And then he says, I've got to tell you why, there's three problems. Men are escaping from reality responsibility into three things, video games, fantasy sports leagues, and pornography. And in each of those realms, as men escape into those realms, uh, there's no responsibility, there's no accountability, there, there's, there's no flesh and blood human with whom you have to interact. It's a fantasy world, right? And in that fantasy world, it's always on your terms entirely. You're in control, you decide when, you decide what, you decide how, and it's comfortable. And it's killing us, right? And Zimbardo, it's such a funny video. It's like five minutes long, and at the end he goes, okay, fantasy sports leagues, porn, and um, uh, what was the third one? Yeah, yeah, video games. And he, he says, now you're gonna ask me for a solution. He says, I don't have a solution. I, I just diagnosed a problem, that's the end of the video. <laughs> I've got good news. Christ has a solution, right? Here's a solution. Instead of that, how about this? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I came that you might have life that you might really live. You have rivers of living water pouring through you. You have a hope and a calling. You have gifts. You have an identity in Christ that is firm and secure and can never be taken away from you. Get on with it, man. Don't live here, live here. Are you with me, amen? Let's do it. When we live here, when we leave here, we need to be living out from our truest identity because as soon as we lose sight of that, we go over here and we escape. My problem is not porn or video games or fantasy sports leagues, but I have my own escape mechanism and I've been deeply convicted of it and I no longer go there. But when life would get hard for me, ever since we did that hike seven years ago, I fell in love with the Dolomites in Italy, these, these Alps in Northern Italy. And so now, when I, whenever I'm gonna quit, which is once a month or something like that, right? But I want to quit, I go online and I start looking at real estate in Northern Italy. And so I'm, I'm here, my wife would walk in the room and she'd see um, 
Like here's some villas in Northern Italy. Oh, you could buy this one. It's only $100,000, you know. And then you go, we'll just move to Italy and we'll remodel this thing and we'll, we'll plant a vineyard. And she goes, uh, my wife is like this, Richard, that's your pornography, put it away. Oh, oh, oh. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's my pornography, put it away. What's yours? Doesn't have to be women. It can be villas in Italy. It can be, it can be, it can be the, the Rams. It can be the 49ers. It can't be the Dodgers anymore. <laughs> That's over. Okay, we got to move on. But, but all of us have to name our besetting sin. And, and if I name it, it says in the scriptures, right? Paul says, we have renounced the things of darkness. And that word renounced in Corinthians is a word for verbal renunciation. So I name my sin and I say in prayer, Jesus, I'm done with defaulting to villas in the Dolomites. I renounce it in Jesus' name. And then if I, if, if I slip back into it, I renounce it again and again. And here's the thing. I become freed from that when I bring it out of the light and name it and renounce it. It may take time, but this is what God wants for all of you. If the, tr- if the Son shall make you free, you'll be what? Free indeed. God's called you to freedom. Amen. So we, we have to deal with our encumbrances, our distractions, and our besetting sin. The place we go when life's too hard, when we're stuck in the fog. We, if we don't deal with those, we're not going to finish the race. And then, and then finally, it says this, Run your race with endurance. Remember this, it's your race. So don't compare. Comparison is like the thief of joy. Uh, Remember in, in John 15, Jesus promises much fruit. Abide in me and you'll bear fruit. But then we understand that when Jesus promises that we'll bear fruit, he doesn't tell us the timing of the fruit or the nature of the fruit or the scope and sphere of influence of the fruit. He just says, look, you abide in me. You do, Richard, you do what I'm calling you to do and don't worry about, you know, how big or powerful or influential your ministry is. That's God's problem, not my problem. I am called to be one thing, faithful. God makes the fruit. God determines the scope of the fruit and I just relax and and live into my daily obligations out of obedience and then God does what God does. It's so liberating to stop comparing. But this has been a lesson that's been hard for me to learn as a pastor. Because when you know, of course, when you go to pastor's conferences and that kind of thing, pastors are always like this. We, we never want to say it, but what we really are saying is, how big is, you know, how big is your church? How big is your church? And, uh, you know, I was privileged to be in a church that was growing the whole time I was there, but it was always living in the shadow of another church just three miles down the road. It was always growing three times faster than one that the, 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 the was the church that I was leading. And so we were at 300, they're at 900. We're at 500, they're at 1,500. We're at 1,000, they're at 3,000. We're at, we're at 4,000, they're at 12,000. And I was like this, no! It's not fear! How come I don't have that, right? And I had to come to this point of repentance and saying, look, what, what convicted me was reading the book of Nehemiah in my devotions, and there's this really boring chapter about all the 12 tribes and the section of the wall and the gates that they built. 
But at the very end of that chapter, it says this. So each tribe built their part of the wall and the wall was completed. And God spoke to me, Richard, this is your part of the wall. Build it. Be grateful for it. Enjoy it. I haven't looked back. At that point, I was like this. God, whether this church is 50 or 5,000, that's not my prerogative. That's yours. So I'm going to be faithful and passionate about this community being a healthy group of disciples who love Jesus and are seeking to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God in the city of Seattle. And I'm going to do it. And whatever you bring me, thank you. That's liberating. So we have to stop comparing ourselves financially, physically, emotionally, maritally, family-wise, and say, God, what you've given me, thank you for what you've given me. I'll steward it and use the gifts you've given me in this context, and the fruit will be yours, God, and I'll thank you in advance for that fruit. So we have to learn here that it's your race, don't compare. And then finally this, if it's the real thing, you're going to feel like quitting. Because it says here, you have need of endurance. And the word endurance, by its nature, the word endurance means this. It means that you wanted to quit and you kept going. Anyone who's run a marathon knows this. You hit the wall. For a healthy marathoner, it's at mile 22. For most of us, it's at mile two. (laughs) But whatever it is, the moment comes when I feel like quitting. And here's the thing, within the Christian life, that happens, right? We're here, it's mountaintop, DJ's amazing. We commit our lives to Christ. We learn about identity, we learn about gifts, we learn about calling. The music is remarkable, the air is clean, and then we drive down the hill. And by the time we unload the car, we have screaming kids, obligations, broken faucets, work problems, Our phone is blowing up because we've been out of cell range up here. And now, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to feel like quitting. And I'm going to say to you, don't quit. That's the moment when you say, your strength, oh Lord, I'm weak. Your wisdom, Lord, I'm at the the end of my rope. Your joy, Lord, I'm, I'm filled with, right now, anxiety. Your hope, Lord, your love, Lord. And we begin to appropriate in our moment of weakness the strength of the resurrected Jesus who lives in us, and that's how we keep on the road. And so we just keep showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up, and every day, Colossians 3, putting on Christ, because when, Christ, when I consciously say, okay, Christ, it's on my day, it's yours. It's on my teaching, it's yours. It's on my life, it's yours. I now have the strength of Jesus at my disposal to be in and through me who I could never be on my own. We just got to show up. So uh, in 1987, I was uh, uh, teaching and pastoring in Friday Harbor, San Juan Islands, Washington State. And 20 years prior, 1967, as as an 11-year-old, I'd gone up from my grandmother's house at Mount Hermon to the conference center to buy beef jerky. I had $3 in my pocket. And uh, I heard the guy speaking in a British accent. I'd never, from Fresno, I'd never heard a British accent. So I went in, sat in the back row, and what the stuff he said changed my life as a 12-year-old. So I bought his book called Limiting God in 1967. 1987, I'm a pastor, and I, and I go, I want my church to hear from this guy who changed my life. So I called England 
And I said, hey, uh, in, 20 years ago, there was a guy, he spoke in Mount Hermon, California. It was a Tuesday. And uh, it changed my life. I want John Hunter to come speak at my little church of 100 people on an island off the coast of Washington State. And the lady goes, well, you know what? Uh, he's not traveling anymore. He's uh, 88 years old. But uh, there's a torturer school in Canada. Call there, and they'll send somebody down. Same message, same, same Jesus. So I call the torturer school. Guy comes down, speaks to my congregation. We become friends. He invites me up to speak at his uh, Bible school in Canada. When I'm at his Bible school in Canada, the founder of a torturer's ministry uh, is there, and he sits in on one of my classes, and he invites me to come and speak in England to all the torturer leaders. And so in 1993, I'm in England to teach to all the torture leaders. 1993, 26 years after this moment at Mount Hermon, and uh, uh, my friend from Canada says, hey, there's somebody I want you to meet, and sitting right there in the front row is this little guy named John Hunter, the guy I heard in 1967. And now he's 94 years old, and he's sitting in the front row, and he says, Richard, I'm so looking forward to hearing you tonight. And I said, do you have any idea the impact you had on me? He says, of course not. What are you talking about? I said, well, 26 years ago on a Tuesday in Mount Hermon, California, I went up to the, uh, the, the snack shop to buy beef jerky, and instead I bought your book because your sermon was so powerful, and I learned that Christ lives in me, and it's changed the entire course of my life. Don't you, don't you remember? <laughs> and he, he was like this. He says, Richard, you should know by now our calling as teachers isn't to ever see the fruit. We just sow the seeds. I, and this is what he said. I'll never forget it. I just show up and commit the time to Jesus, and I, and I live with the confidence that he's expressing life through me. Man. Don't you love that? And I love that it was a Tuesday. Why? Because uh, Tuesday's the roughest day of the week for me. Monday is Monday, like you gear up for it. Wednesday's hump day. Thursday's almost Friday. <laughs> Friday is Friday. Tuesday's worthless, man. <laughs> it's like, get up, put your shoes on. What do we do? Why am I alive? Where are the villas in Italy? <laughs> Listen, as soon as you get down the mountain, although it's Sunday, it's Tuesday. But here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, thank you, Jesus, that you are all I need. And you don't live at Hume. You live here. And your joy and hope and mercy and wisdom and strength will pour through me to bless my spouse, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors, my church, my world. Thank you, Jesus, for the adventure that awaits me. Father, there are adventures awaiting all of us as we follow you. So would you teach us to run with endurance the race that is before us? And I pray right now as we close in worship, Father, that you just speak to every man in the room of our besetting sin. We only have them if we're human, so most of us have them. But I pray, Father, that we'd name them and that we would put them away, renounce them, so that your life would have flow freely through us as living water to a parched and thirsty world. And we'll thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.